And welcome back, Kevin's Corner time. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley in studio, Tuesday around noonish. Thank you to everyone out there listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner and for all of your loyalty over the years. We'll continue to come at least once a week throughout the rest of the offseason. We had to go twice a week last week, man. Mm-hmm. Sure did. did. What did we get to? Uh, 24 hours? Did we even get 24? Yeah, close to that. Yeah. I think just, just a hair under. I was going to say 24-ish in, and then all of a sudden – the Carson Wentz trade happened Thursday morning, I think late morning. So an emergency podcast just with my initial reactions with the Wentz trade. And now we'll get a little bit more into that. The pros and cons of Carson Wentz on today's podcast and this deal. And I think certainly from a Colts fan perspective, I feel like it's mostly positive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd say if I were to put a poll out there, I would say 70-ish percent. I don't know. Like this trade nationally, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. Dan Orlovsky is ready to build the Carson Wentz <laughs> statue out front. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, Peter King, a little bit more pessimistic about it. So I think those are all very fair points on both sides of the ledger. It's a fascinating debate. I think that's something I found even going back and watching 2020 Carson Wentz. It's, um, boy, there's some stuff that um, makes you want to gouge your eyes out. Yep. There's some stuff that makes you want to say, whoa. Yeah, um, that guy was taken number two overall and did have an MVP caliber season in 2017. So um, I'm looking forward to the pod, man. Good amount of Twitter questions as well. And what are we? We're supposed to be the combine, you know, right now. I know. It sucks. It really I, does. I miss it so much for our city. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably a little bit different from a lot of my media colleagues, but. I love the Combine. I think it's such a great one-stop shop. I think it's awesome for the city of Indianapolis. You know, it's the one event every year in the same city for the NFL. Right. Uh, major city, I should say. Mobile, Alabama, obviously not an NFL city. Uh, the draft, of course, going to different cities nowadays and Super Bowl, of course. So um, I think it's a super informative event. You know, you kind of meshing the best of the NFL world with GMs and coaches talking so much and then getting a look at the future as well and the downtown buzz and all that. So you understand it, but unfortunately that is the case. Franchise tag can begin to be used today. Usually that stuff waits until the deadline of the tag, which I want to say is like March 9th or something. So still a little bit of time to go with that. And then a free agency March 17th. So as we said, the kind of news this time of year, maybe there's a J.J. Watt signing that'll happen. Maybe some more cap casualties from veteran guys around the league. As you get into March, some re-signings from teams. But that's really it. Yeah. I, I don't expect anything major. Um, of course, every time the NFL, I say that, the NFL says, hold my beer, Kevin. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, we'll see how it plays out, man. Yeah, just right off the bat, like you mentioned, the, the Colts fans mostly seeming positive and optimistic about the Carson Wentz news. For me, I think the two big reasons why, one – you didn't give up what people thought we would have to give up. And two, now we just have our quarterback at least solidified for the next year or two, we would hope. So now we can focus on other things. Yeah, I, I think probably the biggest thing was just the finality of it all seemed to excite fans. And I also think, as we talked about, Chris, in the weeks leading up to this news, it was the best opportunity to achieve a bit of a long-term vision along with a higher ceiling and not mortgage a crazy amount of the future. I remain team draft. I will stand by that as well. I'd rather have someone that doesn't have the scar tissue that Carson Wentz has. Now is the scar tissue fixable or is it, I don't know, is it, is it a scab or is it permanent? You know, that's what we're going to find out here. 
but certainly I, I totally get and of the realistic options. It was Derek Carr for me, which I don't even know if that was realistic. It doesn't sound like it was. And number two, it was Carson Wentz, and that was a gargantuan drop to Sam Darnold the three. But that's kind of how I ranked them. So um, I am a fan of that for, for those reasons as well. We'll get into some of that here in the pros. And then some of the cons are just questions I think we have to ask because there is a franchise out there that needs a quarterback that said no to their franchise quarterback you know, less than 20 months after making quite the financial commitment to him. So I guess that's the beauty and the beast of this thing is it's not crystal clear, but at the same time, there are some definite reasons to say, whoa, uh, Frank Reich can work some magic. You could pay some long-term dividends that I don't think anyone else out there, mm-hmm. even draft-wise, you, you, you could argue, would achieve as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, looking also in just the cap, Stuff like that, just financially as yeah. well. Yeah, it's not a giant commitment cap-wise. We said it last week, two years, $47 million is really what the guarantee is. We'll break a little bit of, of that down in today's podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly nothing like a Matthew Stafford cap hit or um, something along those lines of what you're looking like long-term as well. So let's hop into the pros, all right? Okay. Um, I think two big pros stand out for me, and we'll divide it up into a Frank Wright connection and then a ceiling trait connection. Let's start with Reich. I'll never forget Carson Wentz's first game back from the ACL was against the Colts. 2018, week three. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of Carson Wentz-centric questions towards Frank Reich. Because without Carson Wentz, Frank Reich would not have been the head coach of the Colts. And you can make the argument vice versa. Without Frank Reich, Carson Wentz maybe isn't the MVP of the league until he tears his ACL in 2017. But Frank uttered the phrase... You know, one of my coaching highlights was coaching Carson Wentz. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, this dude is mm-hmm. Peyton Manning and 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 Larry Fitzgerald and you know, Philip Rivers and has been you know in some rare company, and that that's high praise, you know, for a guy that is that young. So I think that kind of stood out to me, and I vaguely remember that in that September meeting between the Colts and the Eagles. But certainly, as I've looked more into this, it, it, it's come up again. Um, Looking closer, Chris, at Philadelphia's decision to draft Carson Wentz, no one in that building believed more in Carson Wentz than Frank Reich. And just a refresher for everybody on that situation. Doug Peterson gets hired in 2016. He hires Frank Reich as his OC. The Eagles decide that they need to find the next face of the franchise at QB. But they're drafting 13 overall. Mm -hmm. So they go on a tour of the country to find that QB. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, don't spit up your coffee, Paxton Lynch. Like, those were really the three names, I think, at the time in that 2016 draft class. And so from Mobile to, you know, hotel rooms here in Indianapolis at the Combine, uh, Pro Days in Berkeley and and Fargo and Memphis and around, they decide that Carson Wentz is the guy. But more so than anyone else, Frank stood on the table for Carson Wentz. I think they all believed but Frank Reich had this incredible conviction early on in Carson Wentz. Um, so I think it goes back to the point I was making. I think I said this on the emergency podcast when I went on Philly, Philly radio and basically called Carson Wentz a son that Frank Reich never had. And that was, you know, kind of a weird hyperbolic statement. I don't even know if that's a word um, that I made. I, I stand by it. I mean, Frank Reich has always, always believed in Carson Wentz. 
We're talking before you ever even put on a helmet. We're talking when the Eagles were sitting there at 13 overall, and it seemed like a long shot. And then, boom, they trade up to eight with the Dolphins. And then kind of a fascinating story. The the Titans are like, you don't have enough draft capital to get to one. And Howie Roseman's telling John Robinson, just before you make a deal, let me know you're going to make a deal. And out of the blue, Howie Rose or John Robinson trades with the Rams. Rams come screaming up. They're now at number one overall. Howie Roseman's freaking out. He hasn't called the Browns. The Browns, they don't believe, which just sums up the Browns, which, you know, <laughs> I guess you could argue how much Carson Wentz would help them, but he would help them to a degree. They don't believe in Carson Wentz because their analytics don't project FCS players very well. And that was when they had um D uh D Pedestra and whatever the hell that other guy's name is. Brown. I forget his first name. Anyways, um Sashi Brown, I think. The Eagles are able to get up to number two overall. They get Carson Wentz, and the rest is history. If you watch, and I put a link to this in an article I wrote earlier on the week on the website, you watch the draft night call between the Eagles calling Carson Wentz. Man, when Frank Wright gets on the phone, that is a giddy, happy, Mm -hmm. uh, joyous individual that, you know, I felt like I was going to watch Tom Crean kiss his son after beating <laughs> Temple in the second round of the tournament, one of the more um, terrific pictures um, that you'll ever see out there. But, you know, Frank has just always had this connection with Carson Wentz. That night he said to him, it's your toughness, it's your competitiveness. Um, you know, he's called him fearless, he's called him a superstar. There's always so – I'm saying all this basically to, to, to reiterate the point. Frank Reich believes and – Believe, belief, belief, conviction, any word you want to throw in there, it's unwavering. And yes, that was five, four years ago, but some of that is still alive. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is still yeah. alive, and that's why this trade has gone through. Obviously, you have the Press Taylor, Mike Grow connections as well on staff, which I think is critical. We shouldn't overlook that. They've been in Philly more recently than Frank, and if I'm Frank, I would have vetted the hell yep. out of those yep. two guys because you got to know what went wrong. Why? Like, I respect Doug Peterson, if I'm Frank Reich saying this. I respect Doug. What Doug and Carson don't talk for multiple months, according to Adam Schefter? Yeah, that's like, What absurd. the hell is that? Yeah. So you got to vet those guys out and clearly find some sort of finality in what went wrong there. Morally, I don't know if anyone cares about this or not, but I think Carson Wentz and Frank Reich align a whole lot morally. Um, again, what does that do for you on Sundays? Who knows? What does that do for you in repairing confidence? I tend to think it can do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, if you believe in someone and you align much more so than professionally, you probably are going to be, you know, more prone to gravitate towards them, believe in them, listen to them, hear them out. And I think lastly, Chris, that's the part of the Carson Wentz thing is Carson trust Frank. If you read what's happened in Philly, it's not great for Carson Wentz, and you believe in it, I guess I should also add. And Carson has pretty much admitted I was not a perfect teammate by any means. I was stubborn and blah, blah, blah. Stubborn and, and not taking to coaching, okay, I don't love that, but you're not getting a new start. You can't be stubborn with Frank Reich, and you can't all of a sudden you know, mistrust in him or or – all of a sudden, you get to the line of scrimmage, and you're, you're doing something totally different than you talked about all week long. Yeah. And I just don't think Carson is that dumb. or I just think he trusts Frank. 
I just think he flat out trusts Frank more than he trusts those coaches. And again, I do not um, agree with how Wentz possibly handled some of those situations, but now it's a new chapter. And I think his belief in Frank Reich will help uh, mend that relationship or, and I say mend the relationship of player-coach. And I think Carson, the valedictorian, the 4-0 student, he's smart. Very smart. Very football smart. Frank loves that. But I think Frank can match him. Football smarts for football smarts. Mm-hmm. And that's critical because I don't think – I think Carson lost respect for maybe some of the people in the Eagles organization from a coaching standpoint. And, again, as much as I disagree with some of that, now he's here with Frank Reich, and I think Frank can kind of go, you know, toe for toe right. with him in handling that. Um, and I think the ego can be put to the side. So that's where I think the right connection is the biggest reason why this is a pro and the biggest reason why I have belief in this thing working out. I don't, I, I'm definitely not at the full on belief of maybe some of the people that are again, building statues for Carson Wentz and saying MVP and Super Bowl. We, we got a lot of questions and a lot of boxes to be checked before we go there. But I think 2018, 2019 is possible. And that would be a good step. Good step, for sure. Uh, second, I guess let's go into the ceiling traits, Chris. Mm-hmm. There is a higher ceiling. We can make the argument about, like, okay, who's the QB you'd rather have for 2021, you know, and all that of, you know, I don't want to lose sight of what Rivers did last season. But there is no question to me that the raw traits you're getting at quarterback, there's more to work with than you had with Phillip Rivers. Think of the specific traits, Chris. It's the arm talent. It's the ability to move. You know, we talked about it on the emergency pod. Great seam throw of the football. Great driver down the field. The RPO element, you know, been hosting the morning show all week. And Big Joe goes, yeah, with Phillip Rivers, it wasn't the RPO. It was a PO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not pissed off. I mean, that's right. simply pass option. Wentz is going to give you some of that. Now, have the injuries maybe limited him as a big-time runner? Sure. I think that naturally happens. Andrew Luck, I don't think, ran that that much yeah. as his career, especially when Frank Wright got here and whatnot. But there is just an arm talent and a body makeup to Carson Wentz that even when you watch a 2020 film, you're like, whoa, damn. That's eluding some pressure and making a ball fit into a window that I didn't think was possible You know, 1.3 seconds ago during that play. It goes back to a little bit of the video that I remember I'd compiled after Andrew Luck hung it up and saying, like, these are the luck plays you'll miss the most. It's the, and this play is so vivid in my mind, that win and get in game in Tennessee, week 17, 2018 season, you face a third and goal inside the 10, I believe. I don't know, maybe it's just outside the 10. It certainly wasn't within the five. And the play happens, luck takes a snap, and the first two, three seconds of the play, there's nothing there. And Luck just pirouettes out of the pocket, spins to his left. So now he's throwing across his body. And there's Dontrell Inman on a scramble drill, back of the end zone, touchdown. You settle for three there with the stationary quarterback. You know me. I believe in game flow, man. And who knows? And it's just those sorts of plays. Third down in red zone last year. Those stats are eye-popping to me. How poor you were with Rivers. So that's where I get at. A bigger ceiling. Um, sure, there are some things that Phillip Rivers did very, very well that I don't think Carson Wentz can do as well. Um, the quick rhythm, 
the the commitment to the quick rhythm, the commitment to the ball placement on the underneath routes. I mean, Rivers was incredible out that. Uh, can you get Wentz there? You know, by all accounts and from watching the film, he really struggled with that. Really struggled with that last season as well. So I think those are the intriguing aspects, Chris, of you know, this guy when he was the MVP of the league in 2017, he was the best passer in the league on third down in the red zone. I mean, you're talking a quarterback in his second year in the league? Mm-hmm. Whew. Right. I mean, that's – jeez, you dream of that. Dream of that. So if he can sniff that at all here, now all of a sudden you're finishing off drives, keeping drives alive a little bit better. Or do you have the same, again, consistency throughout a game? Maybe not. But if you're punching in a few more, you're going to score more. Uh, obviously the red zone threat, you know, his ability to run. Like, I don't you – know, he's a little slower in the 40 than Andrew – He's not Andrew Luck as a runner, but he's like he's certainly much closer to Andrew Luck as a runner than he is to Carson oh, yeah. Wh- or um, Phil Phillip Rivers yeah. as, as as a runner. I don't know how much is that really saying anything, of course, but I just think there is a threat with his legs. Of when I compare the Rivers traits that are strengths to the Wentz traits that are strengths, the Rivers traits are more teachable than the Wentz traits. The Wentz traits are pretty innate. The arm talent. The ability to run, boy, that's that's really hard to teach that stuff. The Rivers traits, and not to discredit Phillip, but just the quick rhythm, the mastering of the system, knowing where to go with the football, things like that, to a degree you can teach that. Now, do you get to the level that Phillip had it? You know, probably not. But I think that's easier to try and mold into Carson than it is what, what Carson brings to the table. So those are the pros, man. The right connection there. And different traits at quarterback, higher ceiling, more of a playbook. I think all that's very real. And I don't want to act like Carson Wentz is going to walk into a system he doesn't even know. I mean, he's Jim Irsay made it pretty clear that a big reason why he loved the River signing was because during the pandemic he knew the system. Mm-hmm. You know, Carson's going to know it a good amount as well. Right. Um, so I think that's something you have to take into account. All right, here's with the bad. We got the good. What's the cons? Anything else good-wise stand out to you or anything you disagree with, agree with on that? I mean, you're pretty spot on. I don't think there's too much more I could add. Everything that I'm kind of thinking, it's me being more of a fan trying to talk myself into, you know, it's a change of scenery. It's a, a, a media a city that's not as as brash as, as Philly. It's, yeah. You know, he's a, he's a country guy. He likes to go hunting and fishing and you know, we have plenty of that here. I don't know. It's just it's just little things like that where he is, I feel like, starting anew, and and we can just see how he plays out. I'm glad you brought up the environment. I don't think that's something we should overlook. And, and you know, part of that might be a little bit, I don't know, overblown, but I, I, I do think it's real. You know, the, the North Dakota kid to Philadelphia is a little bit different than the, the North Dakota kid to Indianapolis. Um, now I'll, I'll throw in with that. By all accounts, Carson Wentz more or less demanded a trade, more or less wanted out of Philadelphia. So you wanted to be here. Act like it. And I know I drove that point home on the emergency podcast, but you've gotten a second life with the guy that you know helped you play at the highest level of your career. <laughs> There's a lot of quarterbacks around the league that would dream for that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think you need to take advantage of that. Uh, be grateful for it. Um if you were humbled by Philadelphia, admit it and 
walk into this locker room from day one and be the leader that that position needs to be. And, you know, by the early accounts from reaching out to players, both sides of the ball, he seems to be doing a great job of that. Yep. Um, but a lot more of that will come when adversity hits, and that's impossible to script in the spring. All right, cons, questions. Cons slash questions. You know, I, I don't want to sound like it's all just like 100% a negative, but if you don't have questions about this move, then you're – you're related to the Wentz family or the Ursay family. Like, you got to have questions um, about this. Uh, first, broken on the field. And, again, I, I said at the question mark because the quarterback I watched last year, majority-wise, uh, that was a broken QB. There is scar tissue on him, Chris. I tend to think the scar tissue is more mental than physical. But let's start with physical. When you talk to people from Philadelphia – they believe the injuries have impacted him a lot more than maybe just the raw numbers look like in terms of games missed. Obviously, the ACL speaks for itself, but they're saying more of the back injury, more of the concussion that took him out of the playoff loss to Seattle, that there is just a little bit more hesitancy, not as much throwing with anticipation, and just a general lack of confidence maybe in his skill set. And again, how much of that is injury-related? How much of that was playing behind an offensive line that um, – I do think his offensive line is just getting ripped to shreds. Like, Philly had a good offensive line for several years he was there. Now, last year, an abomination of a yeah. group. But let's not act like the Philly offensive line was a bunch of jokes from 2016 through 2019. Um, but I guess how much of that has now created not the same gunslinger mentality – that really a lot of rookies come into the league with. Mm -hmm. You know, Andrew played the game totally different early on in his career than he played in 2018. Um, so I, I'm curious about that. You know, no one has fumbled more than him since he entered the NFL. The 50 sacks in, what, 12 or 13 games last year, it's largely on the O-line, but it's some of that on him of holding on to it because he's maybe not throwing with the anticipation that he did early in his career. Um, just to note, the injuries are, it was a rib fracture his rookie season, a torn ACL in 2017, the fractured vertebrae in 2018, the concussion in 2019, and um, that's it, I guess. Some might say, that's it, that's a lot. Um, again, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like Paris Campbell injuries, but you certainly have to note them. Yeah. I would say another con or question I have, Chris, about broken on the field is should we be worried that really only one team put up a real offer for him? Right. You know, if you get outside of the top five of the draft, you know, Carolina, Chicago, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, um, you know, I know I'm missing some teams, the Patriots. Right. There's a lot of teams that seem to be interested in quarterbacks or at least don't have their quarterback answer. It, does that scare any people away, or did the you know did Wentz's representation just simply say to teams, "Hey, Carson wants to go to Indy"? Sorry, you know who knows, but uh, obviously there wasn't that much interest in him from a here's an offer, here's a legit offer, those right. sorts of things. Does that scare anybody at all? Um, so that to me, again on the field, I just see a little bit of a breakdown in mechanics, really from the lower body which is something that obviously the Colts need to fix and can fix. But you worry, too, just about have as the injuries have piled up after the sacks from last season, how different is that quarterback from the quarterback Frank Reich left 
in December of 2017 when he tore his ACL in Los Angeles? Um, I, I think those are the questions that you have. And then secondly, the con question is just leadership. I don't know if you've read the Philly Voice story, but it was a pretty damning story pretty much about Wentz after the 2019 season that had a lot of anonymous players inside of that locker room that basically said he was not a great teammate, didn't didn't possess the leadership traits that we need at quarterback, this and that. Wentz addressed the article. He certainly did not um, totally diminish all of those statements. He acknowledged he was not at the level of a teammate that he needed to be, and I think that comes from the stubbornness a little bit with him. He's very um, public with that he is a type A personality, which is fine, but inside of a 53-man locker room, you know, you've got to be willing to, I think, just be more open in general to catering to multiple personalities, both sides of the ball, and what happens when adversity hits? You know, are you crumbling and not talking to your head coach for two months? Or... Are you going to be the bigger man in that situation and realize that more responsibility comes with you because you do make the amount of money that you make and you do touch the football in every play and those sorts of things? Um, And that gets back to the humbling aspect to it. You know, I, I think the most just like, whoa, aspect to all of this is the fact that Carson Wentz is no longer the Eagles franchise quarterback 20 months after he signed a 128 million dollar deal yep teams you know teams are praying the rosary every night for a quarterback and you financially commit to him in a magnitude contract and yet less than two years later he's gone and he's gone for a package that a lot of eagles fans wish was a little bit richer Mm mm-hmm the Jalen Hurts draft pick to me, Chris, really head-scratching. Again, you talk to Eagles people, and they're just adamant, like, literally that organization thinks that much of backup quarterbacks. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? Like, they had that 2019 draft, or 2020 draft. I guess there's set the picture. 2019, Wentz leads the Eagles. Four straight wins in the month of December. They're in the playoffs. That's the best Carson Wentz in that team has looked since the ACL. Right leading to the Super Bowl run, like, holy shit, that's great. Now, Jadavion Clowney knocks them out of that playoff game against Seattle in the first round. They lose. So they come back to the draft in April. And despite having two draft picks in the first 100 and needs all over the roster, some of the cap hits starting to come up, as we see right now, the cap situation they're in, and they draft Jalen Hurts in the second round to, to, to be the backup. Right. Like, whoa. I mean... If that dude is really your franchise quarterback and you really believe in him, why are you doing that? And again, this is before the 2020 season happens. When Wentz completes 57% of his passes, when he's benched for Jalen Hurts late in the season, when you have the Doug Peterson-Carson Wentz disconnect. So before all that, you already made a move that speaks a lot more than any he said, she said comments in a Philly Voice article or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you really need a backup that much? I just – and then obviously you hear the Carson Wentz that he was not happy about the Jalen Hurts thing. And, you know, two sides of the coin there. Some people would say, dude, man up and act like Tom Brady acted when they drafted Jimmy G and whatnot. And then other people will be like, I mean, how could you not be worried about the franchise clearly 
making some sort of move to a quarterback that skill set wise is a little bit different as well. I mean, Hertz isn't yeah. crazy, crazy dual threat, but does bring a little bit more of that. Even though Wentz is a um, is a runner, um, so that's I guess just where I have some of the leadership questions about why did that franchise say no? And I know it's very complicated, and we'll never get the answer on it fully. But he was made available for a reason, and Chris Ballard, you know, said as much a few weeks ago when he was on with Dan about you know guys are available this time of year for a reason, and who knows? Maybe Philly can sit here and say, hey. We've got Jalen Hurts. We've got the sixth or seventh overall pick, wherever they're drafting. We feel good that we're going to go in a different direction right now. But it clearly wasn't just a Doug Peterson thing. Yeah, right. And the, and that, I think, is what you get into, too. Frank Reich's relationship with Doug Peterson, his relationship with Nick Sirianni. Like, what happens if Sirianni comes in that building and says to Howie Roseman and Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lurie, guys, I just came from Indy. Frank Reich won't stop talking about Carson Wentz. We can fix him. Let, let's keep him. Would that have changed their minds? Would that have changed Wentz's mind? Like, who knows? And then obviously Peterson. Clearly, Carson Wentz's lack of further development ultimately cost Doug Peterson his job. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall between those conversations between him and Frank Reich right. about all of this. So that's where you have some of these questions, and they will get answered. They won't be answered at all for several months. Um but Carson Wentz has a lot of proving. It was kind of funny that Michael Pittman quote yesterday, which you know a lot of it was great, and and, and you could listening to Michael, you can hear the eagerness in his voice about playing with Carson Wentz, and you know he definitely mentioned the whole big arm and everything. Um, and I'm pulling up this this quote right now. There was one aspect to it where he's like, he's got to prove to us, or he's got to show to us. Something along those lines. And as much as some people might say, wow, a second-year wideout who caught 50 balls is saying that, he's right. (laughs) Here's a quote. Pittman on Wentz. I don't know anything about him. I don't know. I think he's a stand-up guy. I don't know anything about him, but I don't want to judge him before I even meet him. He's going to have to show me who he is. I think he's going to be a great guy. I expect that from him. He is. He's going to have to show show the Colts. Mm -hmm. Like, And that's fine. And that's no ripping by Michael Pittman or anything like that. Um, sure, do a lot of second-year wideouts, would they maybe hide away from saying something like that? Sure. But I have no problem with it. He's right. Carson Wentz has got to show that locker room right. that he is different because they all have heard the whispers. Mm-hmm. They've got friends that, that play for the Eagles. And you know, some Eagles players say some of that is not true. Fletcher Cox, I know, has been pretty outspoken in saying that that is not true. But those are all elements to Carson Wentz's time here in Indy that he will have to prove. Absolutely. Anything else, man, before we get into Twitter questions? No, that was great. Good breakdown. So from uh, cons and questions that you have, let's go into questions that our listeners have. Let's do it. All right, this first one's from Steven. What position are the Colts addressing at 21? Not the best player available, but the best player available for our top needs, including tackle, corner, and edge. Well, I'd go left tackle, Chris, and then I'd go edge. Probably go corner wide out would be pretty close after that. I think... um, well, I do believe there are some stopgap options and free agency mm-hmm. at left tackle. I do think we're talking about long-term slash could potentially help you from day one. I think left tackle in the draft is probably the route that makes the most sense to me. You know, edge-wise, um, it's flavor of the month in free agency. I think there's good depth there. Uh, J.J. Watt would be on one end of it, a little bit older, but 
he can check some boxes. And then guys like Carl Austin and Romeo Cora. And I know people have mentioned Yannick Ngakwe. I'm not as much there. I don't think the Colts maybe are as much there. Could be wrong about that. Uh, but, yeah, I go uh, left left tackle. All right, this one's from Jason. How much impact, good or bad, do you think Carson Wentz acquisition has on free agency, free agents, I should say, looking at the Colts? Um, well, I think it's better than the alternative, you know, a week ago, but I don't think it's anything overbearing. Obviously, the name I come back to is, is T.Y. And how much does this move help his desire to come back here, right. the Colts? Desire and believing T.Y. can be a good fit. You know, I do think you, when you look at T.Y. specifically, do we, do we We might have a question, I think, on, on, on T.Y. So I, maybe I'll hold off a little bit on that. But, um, yeah, I, I I think it'll help you. But, you know, I don't think it's Andrew Luck type of recruiting trip, chip. Right. Like you usually, like you uh, used to have. <clears throat> Will says, all right, quarterback is done. Got to go free agent edge Got to go free agent edge next, right? Draft a left tackle. Splash on Bud Dupree, possibly. Also, do you believe due to the uncertainty with the cap, the likelihood for more free agents signing one-year deals will increase? Believe that we could really play into the Colts' favor for us to extend the names like Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, etc. next offseason. Lastly, go get Allen Robinson. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that, you know? Not at all. Uh, well, it's a good point. I, I I get the thought on the one year deals. I don't think that's definitely going to happen. But you know, you can also backload some of those two or three year contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what the Colts have forty some million. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Forty three is kind of popping into my head. But you know that should be room for two to three big guys. Um, but yeah, I would say more so. It's just the backloading of those contracts. And Nelson Leonard Smith, really, Nelson, I don't see him getting an extension this offseason. You can pick up the fifth-year option on him for 2022. Leonard Smith would be the two. Um, and I I don't have too much of an, uh, of an issue on the Colts' ability to manipulate the cap how they need to. It's more of just what we've seen in years past. The Colts just like to have a lot of rollover cap. So yeah. while they might have 40-some million, they typically like to keep a decent amount of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to keep an eye on too as some deals start to happen. No one's asked us. This is a question for me. With those guys' contracts coming up, you think anyone gets tagged in that year? It's a good question. The, the, the tag can start today, like we mentioned earlier, I think can extend to March 9th. The only name that I keep on coming back to is Xavier Rhodes. But, you know, is it going to be another prove-a-year for him? Now, a prove-a-year for him on a much healthier contract than he made last season. Yeah. Um, that one makes some sense to me. It's a big number, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say corners like 15 million on okay. the tag there. So you know that's certainly a big commitment. Um, part of me says no when we haven't seen the franchise use it since McAfee mm-hmm. in I think 2014. But um, he he is the one name, Chris. Okay. And honestly, of all the past years, he's probably the name that's like most likely. Like the Colts have never even had really anybody that you would even think about tagging. But I say no. All right, this one's from Tyler. Who do you see the Colts bring in weapon-wise for Carson Wentz? Zach Ertz is still an option, or does this increase chances like for Trey Burton to be re-signed? Love the pod, and thanks. Thank you, Tyler. Um, I mean, you would think it increases for both guys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, personally, I'd like to see them get a little younger at tight end. Right. I think Ertz and Burton are both kind of similar ages. Um, but, yeah, you can't argue with what the past success has been with both of those guys. 
and of course Frank Reich as well. Um, I still think a little bit younger, and I, I don't know. I feel like Jack Doyle's got something left. You know, the Buffalo game maybe that's too much on my mind, but he's one of your better players in that Bills game. So uh, a Doyle, a Mo Alley Cox, and a you know fourth round pick a tight end. I don't know. Now I think about it, I guess you don't have a third round pick, so where you're committing your your your, your draft capital comes a little bit more right. pressing. But yeah, both of those guys make make sense for me, Tyler. We're going to stick with the weapons uh, with a question from Niles, who says, now that we have Carson Wentz, I think it's more important to go get a playmaking tight end over the one big name free agent. Do you agree? Um, That's interesting. One big name wide receiver free agent, I should clarify. Yes, maybe. You know, I still look at wide out and think it's a bit of a need, so... Now, a playmaking tight end, really, Chris, it's like, I mean, Hunter Henry, and then it's just kind of, I mean, Jonu Smith, and I don't have the tight end list in front of me, but it's not a lot of, there's certainly a lot of more top-end wideouts than there are top-end tight ends. I get what Niles is saying, though. You probably feel a little bit better about some of the names at receiver than you do about some of the higher-ceiling tight ends you have. Um, hell, what about Kyle Pitts at number 21? Love him. Yeah? Love it. Now, is that too luxury? Is that too mad I mean, video gaming? I'm not a – we talk about hitting on first-round draft picks. You're going to draft a tight end. That dude better be Oof. better be good, That's, real good. Yeah, I was going to say. You, but you, his size and everything, I, does, I would think, translates to the NFL. I mean, the numbers he put up at Florida. Yeah, you got to put real good in all caps. You know, Eric Ebron, what, 10 overall? Wherever yeah. he went with the Lions. Vernon Davis, 6 overall, I think. Yeah, you don't see tight ends taken that high. It's a good question, Niles. All right, Colton's question was answered by a lot of social media yesterday, and obviously we touched on it a little bit earlier, but do you think Michael Pittman and Carson Wentz will change numbers? I'll tell you what, Chris, I didn't realize that many people cared this much about it. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you are financially invested in a Michael Pittman jersey, I get it. Uh, I guess if you want to buy a Carson Wentz jersey, I get it as well, but number aesthetics... That is a big deal to a lot of people. This right. question, I mean, Colton, along with seven other people, asked this question. I believe Michael Pittman, I didn't really mention this much in the article I wrote, but it seems like they mutually agreed that Michael Pittman's going to keep number 11. Um, for what it's worth, Wentz was kind of like handed 11 at North Dakota State. I don't think it was ever like his, you know, I'm wearing 11 for my father or grandfather right. or something like that. I Obviously, his Instagram involves CJ something 11 and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, man, I don't uh, – you got a number for Carson Wentz? No, I said 12. I said go ahead and give him 12. Oh, boy. You're going to do that to uh, to Michael Harris? I know. That's what I started thinking about. I started wondering – I know I was listening to McAfee a little bit yesterday. He said, give him one. I don't care. <laughs> he said, I like when people wear number one. Go ahead. Yeah, um – I guess we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, the 12 thing. I have no issue with Carson Wentz wearing 12 for what it's worth. I don't think that is a jersey that needs to be retired at all. Um, yeah. QB numbers. <laughs> I think Pittman looks good in 11. Yeah. He looks quicker. 86, he looked like he was playing JV. You know? Like, you oh, there's the tall kid on JV that, you know, we throw the ball to once every – Three quarters. Yeah, that's definitely the trend. I mean, you look at Godwin, you look at every receiver on Kansas yeah. City. They're all, you know, I, I get, I get lost on the Kansas City games. I'm like, was that Mike? Nope, that yeah. wasn't. Was that that wasn't Marcus him. Robinson. Right. Was that and Hardman? Was Pringle. That? Who was yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
All right, Nathaniel and Connor both have similar questions, so we put them together. Now that we know who our starting quarterback is, just wondering who our backup could be. Would we bring back Jacoby? Is it going to be Jacob Eason or another veteran like Alex Smith? Is there another quarterback that you have in mind? I know it's not that important. Just thought that I would ask. Well, first, I think when you look at Wentz, he's got to get over his little afraid of the backup thing. And I know Jalen Hurts in the second round was whatever, but he can't be worried about the guy behind him. If he's worried about the guy behind him, then he's not a franchise quarterback. And that's just, that's point blank for me. Um, So you got to get over that. Um, If you take Jacoby Brissett out his word, Chris, I mean, he is uber, uber, uber confident in his ability to still be a starting quarterback in this league. That's not happening here. So he's got to go elsewhere, right? You know? Uh, Part of me thinks, what about Jacoby to the Eagles? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I was thinking New England, but, I mean, why not? Yeah, New England probably offers him a better chance at open competition, but I don't know if – can you go to Philly? Who knows what Nick Sirianni really thinks about him with some true serum and whatnot. You know, vet names out there. Shit, Hoyer's out there. (laughs) I was reminded that, saying the word S-H-I-T – a great friend of my brother, Sam Story, said that he was in the dentist chair the other day, and uh, the lady asked him, the hygienist asked him, we've got a Bluetooth speaker. Uh, he didn't want to watch Judge Judy. Bluetooth speaker, would you like it to be turned to anything? And, uh, yeah, he said, uh, connect it to my phone. We're going to listen to the Kevin's Corner emergency podcast. Wow. And so, yeah, talk about loyalty, passion, <laughs> love them. And uh, I said that word, and the hygienist goes, can he say that on air? Gosh, I didn't know we'd be being played in, you know, (laughs) dental offices. I thought B105.7 was in every dental office across the United States. So, sorry about that, Sam. Thank you for the loyalty there. All right, vet, backup name, C.J. Beathard, Blaine Gabbert, Mike Glennon, (laughs) Nate Sudfeld. There you go. That's a right connection. That's an eagle connection. Right. Carson and Nate, come on back. Um, Geno Smith. I mean, like these dudes were backups in the NFL. I know they all make you want to, again, drive off a cliff, but do you want to spend a good amount of money or not? I think right. that's something you have to say as well. Now, of course, everyone will say, what about Eason? He'd be my backup, but I'm just trying to put on the Colts' glasses here, and I could very well see the Colts – not wanting to go that route. You know me. I was good with Eason coming in and playing last year if yeah. Philip got hurt. So, right. you know, I'm good with him being the backup. I'm ready to start the next chapter if Wentz, you know, blanks the bed. But uh, when you got the seat a little bit warmer, those guys in West 56 probably want a backup that's at least put on a jersey in an NFL game. Right. Yeah. So that's where I throw some of those names out there. And uh, I just think there's names that we got to think about. This one's from Jake, purely based on Carson Wentz being the new quarterback. Over under two and a half primetime games next season. Oh, God, I'd be shocked if that was over. I mean, <laughs> shit. With with luck, you could barely eh, – yeah. I don't think you had a single one. And and remember, when the schedule came out in 2016, 2017, 2018, you thought luck was a quarterback. Hell, 2019, you thought he was a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, if you can't even get one with luck, what makes you think you're going to get three with Carson Wentz? I don't – I guess if you're looking for the Plains, the 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 Plains states, all tune into Monday Night Football. Maybe you'll get that. I maybe there's an Eagles audience that'll still watch. It's obviously a huge market. Just give me one at home. Come yeah, on. great point. <laughs> I'll say two. 
But I mean, that's I feel like I'm I'm too high there. Okay. Well, I mean, you got the NFC West. You know, those are those are some yeah. those are some attractive teams. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's go with two. I don't know. Is Jacksonville a primetime team now? Uh, I mean, Trevor Urban. That's a decent little duo. Yeah, especially early on. They'll be like one of the first Thursday night games. And, and they'll definitely be a Monday nighter in the first two months. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, Kevin, this one's from Ron. How much of us already having a solidified right tackle and Braden Smith played a part in us getting Carson Wentz? Can't help but to think a great part of the Colts taking a chance on Wentz is because we have Smith. Yeah, Ron, I, I'll be honest. I don't think it had any bearing. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I hate to like rip the question, but I'm sorry if you don't have a quarterback. Like <laughs> that's why you needed to go get Carson Wentz. I don't think Braden Smith's presence. Braden Smith's presence is wonderful for this football team, but a solidified right tackle. I, I guess maybe you're okay to give up more draft capital. Um, but yeah, I don't think it had any bearing. I mean, sh- you, flat out, you just needed a quarterback. Here's a great name for you, Johnny Lightning. Oh, I like it, Johnny Lightning Witcher. I love it. Ask, shouldn't re-signing Xavier Rhodes be one of the most obvious moves that you need to make this offseason if you're Chris Ballard and the Colts? Considering the way he played for the Colts last year, the amount of money you have to spend this offseason, and question marks like Rock and Marvell tell, is offering a guy like Rhodes 10 to $12 million a year crazy? Uh, Mr. Lightning, it's the obvious part that I pause at. I think he matters a whole lot, and I thought Xavier Rhodes was tremendous for this football team last year, and I don't want to overlook that. But, Chris, we talked about it a few podcasts ago. Why did Xavier Rhodes have success here last year? Familiar face in Jonathan Gannon. Well, Jonathan Gannon's no longer here. Okay, point number two. Uh, he was motivated, Xavier Rhodes. Just got cut by the Vikings, and now he's playing on a prove-it contract year. Mm-hmm. Is he still going to be that motivated on a two- or three-year deal worth 30-some million? Um, and then lastly, he was affordable. <laughs> you know, I don't think you can overlook that. He's not going to be as affordable this year. So um, you've got to factor in all that. Um, and then you're committing, you know, you're committing two to three years potentially at that price versus just the one-year deal um, to that level. Now, having said all that, you know, when you list guys like Rock and Marvell Tell and, and, and those situations, um, you don't feel great about your cornerback depth. At least I don't. They think better of it than than I do, and you know you look at the schedule and you see some of the wide receivers on that schedule next year, and those dudes can catch footballs, yeah, and can do it at a high level. So I definitely hear you. Lightning free agent class isn't great, but just a multi year commitment, man. Hmm. I, I, I pause a little bit at that. All right, Craig says I think the Carson Wentz trade was an absolute steal for the Colts. We get a young, most importantly, mobile quarterback who has the arm to throw downfield for third and likely for a third and likely a first, which is really worth a second since it's a 2022 pick. He reminds me of what everyone was saying about Philip Rivers before we got him. He turned the ball over too much. However, Rivers had a crappy O-line just like Wentz. According to Pro Football Focus, Wentz's rating is 90 without pressure and 55 with pressure, and the Eagles gave 65 sacks in 2020 compared to 19 with an immobile Rivers and the Colts. I expect Wentz will win Comeback Player of the Year and lead the Colts to an AFC Championship. Tell me why I'm wrong. Oh, boy. Craig, that is a lot there. Um, head to Vegas, Craig. That would be my first comments. You can get great odds right now, I think, on – I don't know about Comeback Player of the Year, but uh, certainly Colts to win the AFC Championship, you could get some pretty good odds there. Um, 
you know, he he lays out points that you certainly have to acknowledge here. Mm-hmm. I also think we we need to just keep in mind sacks can also be a quarterback stat. Yes. And if you look at, I wrote an article last week, and I mentioned on the emergency pod, the numbers from Reich with, excuse me, the numbers of Wentz with Reich versus without. To me, a surprising aspect. I thought they were pretty similar, and that was surprising. It was surprising to me, Chris, how the time to throw was pretty similar for Wentz with Reich versus without Reich. And we also should mention, Frank Reich has never called the plays for Carson Wentz. Now, I assume that'll go well, but like that's just a whole another yeah. element to this of like, again, I think it'll go well. Of course, the devil's advocate could say, you know, what happens when Carson Wentz doesn't feel like the play calling's going well, and now are those two, you know, bucking heads a little bit more? I mean, how much of a good cop did Frank Reich play for Carson Wentz? Because he wasn't the play caller. Did, was he of any good cop? Yeah. Um, you know, they got something to ask as well. You know, as far as the AFC Championship, all that, yeah, Craig, I can't go there. Carson Wentz has played, I think it's nine snaps in the playoffs in his career. And that might be my biggest um, long-term mm-hmm. team picture worry, Chris, is this guy has not played in meaning in many big-time playoff-like atmospheres. You know, whatever. College, you know, he's in the national title. That's that's great. That's fine. You know, I don't think we're comparing an FCS national title game to an NFL playoff game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's the reality of it. When you look at him versus the other AFC quarterbacks, he doesn't have that playoff experience, and you have to sit here and acknowledge that. You know, look at the final four guys last year. They're all younger than Carson, and they all have won games in the playoffs. Um, a lot of them won multiple games in the playoffs, whether you're talking Mahomes or Josh Allen or what, you know, Lamar Jackson and, and even Baker Mayfield as well. Um, you know, Tannehill, a little bit older, but he's obviously won a couple playoff games. So that's, I think, a part of the Carson Wentz thing that we're probably not talking about yet because, like, he's got to fix himself before we even get to, like, you know, what are you doing in the postseason? But then once you get to January, there's going to be another elephant in the room of, this is a guy that is now, what, this will be his sixth NFL season? And again, he's played two series in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Has he been a big part of getting Philadelphia to playoffs and to their number one overall seed in 2017? Definitely. But he hasn't been there. And that's just different. I mean, that's different ball. That is a different ball game. We've You guys have heard me talk about it endlessly. You know, it takes Peyton six years to win a playoff game. Um, Andrew Luck, it was those progressions of losing the wild card round, and then you win the next year in the wild card round, and then you get to the AFC title game. Um, I think it's kind of a build oftentimes Mm -hmm. with guys in the playoffs. And obviously the last quarterback that just exited here in Phillip Rivers, that was kind of always the uh, the hanging cloud over his career. So I think that is a part of Wentz that we just don't know yet. And that's where the Orlovsky comments about MVP and Super Bowl, I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, geez, yeah. did you know Mahomes' right arm fall off in the last 48 hours? I haven't, I saw that they had a baby. I forget the baby's name, but I, I don't know. I don't, oof. Um, Dan was at Disney. He was in a good place. Was he at Disney? Yeah. <laughs> and I love Dan Orlovsky. I think he's inside is terrific. I'm just like, whoa, that is, that's aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mike Tan, did you see Mike Tannenbaum's comments? I did not. So this dude, and this is the jackass that had the Marlon Mack comments. Right. You know, remember that? I mean, come on. How bad is that? Okay, so he he throws out the old um, 
says in the AFC South, I've got Carson Wentz as the fourth best quarterback, but I believe he's better than Andrew Luck. And I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> time out, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> I'm like, how do those even add up? Yeah. Th- she- those don't make any sort of sense um, to me whatsoever. Now, to Tannenbaum's AFC South point, I mean, hell, Wentz, I guess, is probably the third best AFC South quarterback. I, obviously, Watson is better than him. I would think Ryan Tannehill deserves to be better than him right now. And then uh, I can't put Trevor Lawrence above him just yet. So I guess the AFC South comment, while it was eye-popping, it wasn't like that jarring to me. It was the, he's fourth in the AFC South, yet he's better than Luck. Right. I'm like, Jesus, Mike. I got. I, Thank you. Yeah, welcome to the offseason. <laughs> All right, this one's from Alec. What would you say the percentage is that Ballard trades back in the first round after losing a third rounder this year, or do you think he will go with the quality over quantity in the draft? Yeah, you guys will hear me say this over the next two months. It's impossible to say until the board starts falling. Uh, I'll put it at 50-50. Certainly reasons why Alec puts it out there. You trade back, what, eight-ish spots, you probably get a third rounder. Um but I, I think it is to the point where it is quality over quantity. But, you know, if your offensive tackle board looks different than how it's fallen and you like the kid from Virginia Tech and he's still on the board and whatever, the, the Notre Dame game, the, the Notre Dame guy, Eichenberg, is still on the board and, you know, you think there's a chance that both of them will be there at 28 or 30, something like that, maybe you do move on back. So, uh, But, I, yeah, I think it's quality over quantity. Sammy wants to address the left tackle and defensive end situation with the Colts right now again in terms of who we go after in the first round he says I think left tackle and then get a free agent defensive end what are your thoughts I feel a little bit better about the uh, free agent edge guys and you know I, I feel I don't know I feel intrigued by J.J. Watt Chris it's um I mentioned this on the radio this week it reminds me of the Justin Houston situation a couple years ago Houston gets cut by Kansas City he had missed 20 some games in his previous four years he couldn't stay healthy and just Therefore, couldn't produce at a consistent level. He comes here, and from day one, the Colts are like, watch. Under our strength program, Rusty Jones, we'll get Justin Houston back to being healthy. We'll scale back his playtime a little bit. He won't be dropping into coverage. And we'll get him to be available. And therefore, if he's available, he'll he'll produce. Um, that's right. I mean, he played every single game the last two seasons. Like Now, where I think Watt separates himself with Houston, Houston could play 16 games in a season. And, Chris, there's four or five where I'm like, wait, Justin Houston played? Yeah. Like, I, I don't remember seeing him on the field. J.J. Watt plays 16 games in a season, you're going to feel him every single Sunday. You might feel more on other Sundays, but you'll feel him every single Sunday. That's the difference. Now, can Watt stay healthy? Do the Colts look at his situation similar to how they looked at Houston? Do they say, you come here. And we know you've missed a lot of time over the last five years. Think of the last five years, his games played have gone three games, five games, played all 16 three years ago, played eight two years ago, and then played all 16 this year. He played the most snaps of any defensive lineman in the league this past year, and it wasn't even close wow. to who was second. Now, he also was double teamed more than anybody else. Right. Well, dude, you got DeForest Buck. I don't care who's wearing 99. They both can wear 99 for all I care. <laughs> You won't be getting as many double teams as you got in Houston, you know, when it was you and me right. on, on that D line down there. So um, it's a big if, 
But if you believe in your strength program like that and you think Watt can stay healthy for two years and it's super incentive-laden, um, boom. Do it. I, I, I would do it. I would take J.J. Watt 10 times out of 10 over Justin Houston. But, man, you got to be sure about that health. Yep. Absolutely. This one comes from Blind Penguin. In regards to the conditional first-round pick, are there rules? Can the Colts sit Carson Wentz in games, quote, without injury or bad play, end quote, to avoid him reaching 70 to 75% snap count? And if there are no rules and the Colts value the first-round pick, do you see this as a backdoor opportunity for Jacob Eason to get some regular season reps? Keep up the great work. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't believe there are rules, Chris. Uh, can't you finagle your way into it? Oh, yeah, Carson, you know, just shoulders a little bit. Yeah, that, that. We're up 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jacob, send in the game. Um, having said that, I'd be stunned if the Colts benched him or sat him unless they are burnt toast. Burnt toast. Like, not even. The Colts aren't going to flirt with. Like, they are committed to Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, remember, seven teams make the playoffs, Chris. That keeps a whole lot of teams in the playoffs race. Right. So this is not like you get to the start of December, and just because you're, I don't know, 5-7, and 11-5 <laughs> as a seven seed this year was an anomaly. I'd be stunned if that's the case moving forward. But we're talking about a Colts franchise that dressed Brian Hoyer in a game when the season was over. Now, Brian Hoyer didn't matter for a first-round pick, but I'm just saying, well, I think there's a decision to make. I don't think they believe there's a decision to make. And who knows? Maybe the first-round pick element is different. But I'll go back to what I said earlier on the emergency pod. He really has to get hurt for him not to achieve this. I mean, Rivers played 95% of the snaps. There were some games where Jacoby finished those games, and Jacoby played Mm -hmm. in the short yardage pack. Carson Wentz is like one of the best QB sneakers Frank Reich's ever been around. So I don't think we have to worry about old Jacoby packages with whoever is the backup. So, I get it. I understand the question. But unless Carson Wentz misses multiple games due to injury, I have resigned to the fact that Colts are giving up their first-round pick. All right, this, and pardon if I mispronounce this, DLG is a longtime listener to Kevin's Corner and other platforms that you do things as well. First time sending in a question and actually downloaded Twitter just to ask you this question. Wow. Thank you, DLG. Appreciate that. That's uh. Man, that's uh, that's awesome. For, <clears throat> pardon me. First one being, it's been suggested that Carson Wentz has leadership issues. In your opinion, does that make it more vital that either T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle, or both are brought back this offseason? Keep that veteran leadership on the offense, two guys that have spent their entire career here, or Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson are enough. Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Well, and then secondly, welcome to hell, because that is Twitter. <laughs> No, nah, I'm just kidding. I, I think Twitter's awesome. I, I actually love it. Um, and thank you again for sending the question. You know, Jack Doyle is under contract. Let's start there. You know, he's not going anywhere unless I'm missing something. Um, let me start here before we get into the debate because I, I do think it's a fine question. Carson Wentz needs to be a leader. Like, point blank period. There are other guys that he mentions and other guys inside that locker room that have leadership mm-hmm. roles already, but that quarterback is a leader. He speaks in that huddle every single play. He needs to be there. So uh, Carson's got to get there. Um, 
you know, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson. You know, I don't know how much like vocally Hilton. It's probably more of leadership wise. There's just not, there's not a lot of vocal leaders. I think on that offense, Kelly probably more so than some of the other ones. You know, I, I tend to look at that defense. I think Buckner and Leonard and Kenny Moore, to a degree as well, has a little bit more leaders. But let me reiterate, Carson's got to look in the mirror. He's got to accept coaching. He's got to realize it's a fresh start. Um, you can be smart. You know, you be the valedictorian. Do all that, but uh, you can't be stubborn to the point where you ignore, yeah. alienate yourself, all those things. This question comes from Tanner. Wants to know your thoughts about potentially Joe Hegg and Carson Wentz reuniting since they were teammates at North Dakota State. Yeah, also I get it. it. Helps the depth. You know, they're they're good friends. I know that um, Joe Hegg. Not a lot of left tackle experience. Like, is it an open competition? I, I, I you know, I like Joe Hegg as a depth, but part of me thinks. You know, he could compete for a right guard opening or a right or a right tackle opening, something like that. Shakota wants to ask, can you explain the cap in Carson Wentz contract for this year and next upcoming years? I was kind of confused on why or how the Eagles took the $30 million dead cap. How about that being the biggest cap hit in NFL history? Yeah. Another reason that I'm just like. That front office, man. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> Okay, um, so Wentz's cap hit for this year, I think, is $25 million, and then um, $15 million for 2022 becomes guaranteed once a new league year starts next month. Mm-hmm. So he'll be on the books for $15 million, uh, but there's no more guaranteed pass this year. Now, if you want to keep him, because he's under contract through 2024, I think it's right around $25 million again. But, again, there's nothing that is guaranteed for right here, right now, um, past 2022. So, yeah, it's $25 million this year. Again, the $15 million for 2022 becomes guaranteed next month. And then the remaining, what is that, 22 plus 25 plus 15 is 40. So you got seven more left. That becomes guaranteed the new league year 2022. Okay. If that makes sense. Yep. But yeah, it's essentially two year, forty seven million, and the opportunity to and, and like look at quarterbacks making that money. I mean, that's you know that's for the most part, it's about middle of the pack money. Yes. So th- that's what to your point earlier about the financial commitment. Yeah, I was looking like Jimmy G's making that. You yeah, know? yeah, so. it's not earth shattering. All right, Creighton says I can't help but to think back if the Colts would have picked up the fifth year option on Malik Hooker, have to feel like he would have been added to a trade. At least to get a pick up, or at least to get us another pick, if not to help us get one. Major mistake, in my opinion, by Chris Ballard. No, Craig, I'm I'm not ripping Chris for that. I, you know, I was pretty outspoken about I I would have picked up the fifth year option for Malik, and then Julian Blackman said, "Watch me play football," and you'll disagree with that statement, and I certainly did. So I will fully admit that I was wrong about that. But like, what draft pick are you getting from Malik Hooker off a of torn Achilles? I mean, I just can't imagine you're going to get anything of of substance there. And I don't even know how the contract would have worked about what sort of guarantee you would you would be on the books for or a cap it there. Uh, that's something I haven't even. It's crazy. We literally haven't talked about Malik Hooker once. Right. You know, we're talking to Frank Reich Thursday. The combine's supposed to be this week. We're going to talk to Frank. Oh, shit, I guess I shouldn't ask him about <laughs> Malik Hooker just to get it on record. Did you see Chad Johnson tweet at Malik Hooker? No, did he? Uh, actually, I, I saw Malik respond, but I have no idea what the context was. It's just very odd. You know, uh, so every now and then Chad Johnson will will challenge cornerbacks 
or, or secondary. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just to show that he still has it. And right. he, he was like, hey, I want some of you, Malik Hooker. And I'm like, why would you challenge Malik? Like, that's, I don't I don't necessarily think that he's, you know, a great one-on-one outside yeah, I, I don't. Nor do I understand what, what is the beef there. Right. You know, that as well. <laughs> that's great. This is from Chase. Obviously, Carson Wentz has a higher ceiling and a long-term potential, but Phillip Rivers probably had the higher floor. Wentz is a huge unknown, but what does your gut say? If you were to run the 2021 Colt simulation a thousand times with each, who has mm. the better season more often? I understand the long-term ramifications, but this, but is this an upgrade for 2021? I like this, Chase. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what he's saying here. So I think if you ran a thousand simulations, you'd get more consistency with Rivers. You get more variance with Wentz, but you'd get a higher peak variance with Wentz. And that probably sounds like super math averagey <laughs> stuff, but basically if you run a thousand simulations, I think you get more twelve, thirteen win seasons with Wentz. You not many, obviously, but like now, you'd also get some seven and eight winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with the Rivers, it'd be more of like, you know, whatever, eight to 11, something like that. You're definitely going to play a harder schedule than you did last season. But, uh, I mean, if Frank Wright can find all the pieces of the puzzle and put them back, boy, the opportunity is there to flourish. And I think flourish pretty quickly. But if you can't find the pieces, you know, it'd be like doing a puzzle with your you know, yeah. two or three-year-old. This one comes from Matt, says Chris Ballard has stated that the Colts are just now entering into their championship window. How do you think he will go about adding to the roster as he tries to get them over the hump? Former Colts GM Bill Polian used to say that he would rather overpay his own free agents than pay someone else's because he at least knew what he was getting with his own. He would also use the draft to add players. Do you see Chris Ballard continuing to use the draft and re-signing his own free agents? Or can you see him bringing in outside free agents, building through the draft, to get the Colts where we all hope they can go. Well, you have to continue to draft well. And I know that sounds just so elementary, but, like, you have to. Um, I think we'll start to see a few more splashes, Chris. But it's hard to really project the future until that QB's locked in. Like, is Wentz two years or is Wentz four years? Is Wentz eight years or is he two years? Um, that's the mm-hmm. kind of the unknown in it, Matt. But... Um, He's going to be a homegrown and build and re-sign those guys, but there's going to be a couple more splashes, and you got to factor in the cap situation is going to continue to be um, something you have to take note of. So with that, draft, well, (laughs) as simple as that sounds and as hard (laughs) as that is to achieve. Kevin Jake asks, if you had to build a defense of Colts players since the year 2000, how many current players would make up your starting lineup? DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard, and Kenny Moore are locks for him. With how well Grover Stewart has played and the utter lack of defensive tackle play we had in franchise history, Stewart makes his list as well over Booger McFarlane. Others that he could entertain adding would be Justin Blackman and maybe Bobby Okariki. Thanks a lot and love the pod. Yeah. Jake, it's a fascinating question. It's got me thinking. I don't know if I can go much further than the three you named. So he's got Buckner, Leonard, Moore. Yes. Well, your ends are Freeney Mathis. Your safeties are Bob Sanders, Antoine Bethea. I mean, I'm sorry, Julian Blackman had a really nice rookie season, but anyone put him over Bob Sanders, Antoine Bethea, and uh, they probably need to stop 
consuming <laughs> beverages. Your corners, okay, I got Kenny Moore as one of them. If healthy, Marlon Jackson? I don't know. Maybe one play stands out too much, but. Not, Marlon was great early on, for sure. Yeah. I guess who are your linebackers? Bracket? Yeah. I think I think Jarrell Freeman. I know people want to forget those years. I mean, talk, if him and Leonard, I mean, imagine how many tackles are Right, are so I, I'd say I know they all don't maybe play the same positions, but I'll go with Gary Brackett, Jarrell Freeman, and Darius Leonard. Okay. Gary Brackett's kind of my mic. And then uh, I guess Freeman and Leonard are a little bit more. Leonard can do whatever he wants, and then Freeman. Freeman had a really nice run here. Yeah, he did. I know he got popped up in Chicago, but, um, yeah. Okariki, I guess, will be my first man off the bench. Booger. Forgot about Booger. Uh, yeah, defensive tackle. Corey Simon, Booger. I don't know. Maybe it is Grover. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Jake. Thank you. All right, four more. This one's from Rick. Do you think Frank Reich and his staff listens to your podcast or any other media? Because I can't help but question how they keep making the same mistakes. I mean, at least put your ear to the ground and they know what they were doing right or wrong. Thanks for the opportunity. Love the show and go Colts. Well, I can't tell if Rick is punking me with this question or not. Um, <laughs> if Frank Reich is listening to this pod, then um, we got issues. We got a lot of issues here. <laughs> Uh, talk about a waste of time. Can you imagine Frank Wright committing two hours during the season each week to the pod? He loves football, Kevin, just like our listeners. Yeah, I know, but his <laughs> obligations and listening to Kevin Bowen, <laughs> boy, you don't want that high on the radar. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. Very important people in that building consume my content and my colleagues' content, without a doubt, mainly written, I'll say that. Um Certainly some people have been known to flip on a radio dial or two and listen maybe a little bit more in and out of work, but by no means is, uh, you know, Kevin's Corner or, you know, whatever, you know, what Jim and Joel do and what Zach and Steven do. I don't think that they are uh, necessarily uh, consistent listeners. To that. I don't know, maybe during the offseason. But, um, yes, they, I would say, written content quite frequently. Read a lot. And sometimes interjected with in terms of mm -hmm. let's have a back and forth on that. Right. Nothing crazy, but yeah. This one comes from Trep. Hey, Kevin, after watching the Buffalo game, this defense has definitely found its level to where it's supposed to be. The Colts secondary is worrisome. The Colts pass rush is not there also. Teams continue to pick on Rock, and, yet, and he is yet to step up to the challenge. What is needed for the Colts to fix the pass defense? I feel like the secondary hasn't looked good since the first time they played Tennessee. Yeah, you know, secondary and the pass defense in general did kind of wilt down the stretch. I thought, first off, you played a lot better passing offenses. Um, edge presence is where I start. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of the secondary, I want to see your corners win better early in the down. And I feel like at times, and I guess mainly I'm talking to Rock, but, you know, you struggle early, now you're panicking, and at the point of attack, Moment of truth. Here comes a flag. So, but again, I think your edge presence can mask a lot of things. You know, I feel like similar to quarterback on offense, if you've got a great pass rush, it can uh, it can cover up some weaknesses defensively. Isaac wants to know, if you could get Phillip Rivers that played this year and have that level of play for 10-plus years, 
Would you do it or elect to draft a quarterback? No, I would draft. Um, and I'm greedy. I want more. And I want mobile. I know that Phillip, unbelievable career, probably going to be in Canton. And some people will be like, that's foolish. But, you know, I, I've, I saw Phillip Rivers' career for 10 years play out, and it was damn good. And several playoff appearances, several wins in the playoffs as well. But um, I'm in the business to win championships. Win championships. Mm-hmm. Plural. Singular first, and then plural. And to do that, I want more. And I and uh, like I said, mobile. All right, the last question for this podcast comes from Brian. KB, you talk a lot about quarterback purgatory and how awful that is for a franchise. But what about pass rush purgatory? Basically... NFL teams don't let top, let top-notch pass rush talent walk into free agency, so that means it has to be drafted. However, drafting in the mid to late round makes it tough to draft guys like Miles Garrett. If the Colts are good but not great with Phillip Rivers and a premier pass rush could push them over the top, how do we acquire it? Seems paradoxical to me. Yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to what Brian just said. Um now, I do think you can find pass rush elsewhere. Obviously, Miles Garrett, number one overall pick. But, you know, think about these past couple drafts. Two guys that we've really talked about a whole lot on podcasts have had really nice starts to their career. Brian Burns in Carolina, I think, has been really close to double-digit sack seasons early on. Uh, Montez Sweat in Washington, as well, has been a really productive rusher. Those were, what, mid-to-late first-rounders? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, the easiest way... To achieve it is through the draft, but look, hey, look at uh, look at Tampa, Shaq Barrett, not drafted by them. Hell, I think he was maybe even undrafted. Uh, Sue, free agent, and JPP, mm-hmm. Jason Pierre-Paul. Yep. So uh, you can manufacture it in other ways. It's it's more difficult, of course, to do that. But I don't want to act like you you can't ignore that. So, but pass rush purgatory, I would say. Really, ever since Mathis had the 19 and a half sacks, you've been in edge rush purgatory. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, that, that's a fair statement, Brian. All right, that wraps up Twitter questions. You want to let our listeners know any articles that you're working on or things coming up for you? Yes, I appreciate you mentioning that. We got a lot of uh, Carson Wentz content up on the site. I'm going to post something, uh, basically 10 questions about Wentz and the situation here, just surrounding, and, and good and bad questions, um, surrounding his uh, situation in the Colts here in the next day or so. Um, got free agent watches continue this week. Al-Kadeen Muhammad, Danico Autry, Anthony Walker, I think TJ Carey will round out the week there. And then we'll get into another mock draft look. Uh, I'm going to have that posted a little bit later in the week as well. So um, Love it. Love the mock drafts. Oh, yeah, baby. Hey, we're, what, two months? Two months? Yeah. Of change? Yeah. yeah. And now, you know, there's some finality, at least, to quarterback right now. So um, a little bit more definition, I guess, to what – the Colts could and will do with right. still having a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. All right, he's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, great weekend as well. We'll be back next week on Kevin's Corner.